If you think the smog is bad now, you should have been here 50 years ago. Or just wait, because it may come back. The Trump administration has stripped California of the power the state's had for more than 50 years to help keep smog at bay by setting stricter emission rules for vehicles. That power has delivered cleaner air and fewer health complications to generations of Angelinos. And now that power could disappear into thin and dirtier air. Ed Aval is a professor of clinical preventive medicine at USC's Keck Medical School, an engineer by training, a devoted 5K runner who's breathed LA's variable air for some 50 years. And he lays out how this future air could look like the past. What crossed your mind when you heard that the auto emissions restrictions in California would be rolled back? Well, it's sort of like a deja vu. You know, when I was a child here growing up, there are days, weeks, where you couldn't see the mountains, where it was hard to breathe, where we were kept from playing outside on the playground during school. And I think nobody wants to go back to those days. And seeing the tremendous progress that's been made, sort of being hampered by federal policies, would really, I think, go in the wrong direction. If smog were a recipe, what would be the ingredients? You take one part, uh, little pieces of dirt floating in the air, which we call aerosols, and a couple of parts of various noxious gases, including those you can both see and can't see, and you stir them all up and mix with several hundred other chemicals and cook with some heat for a couple of hours, uh, which is the sunlight, and you get Los Angeles smog. Are we in Los Angeles stuck with air pollution in part just because of the topography of the mountains and the basin and the oceans. How does that work? Well, it's certainly a part of it. Hundreds of years ago, before we had the millions of people that live here and the millions of cars that drive around, this was known as the the Valley of Smokes, partially because with the high mountains and the onshore breeze and the stagnations that occur with the tribal fires and Indian activities and so forth, the occasional dust, there were many days here that were hazy, even without all the people. But certainly all the people, all the activities, all the urbanization has added to this. And so now, not wholly because of the people, but certainly in addition to it, the natural background and the man-made activities has contributed greatly to our problem. You may know what L.A.'s epiphany was and when it was, when L.A. looked around and said, God, this is really bad and we can do something about it. In the early and mid-40s, both during the time of the Second World War and coming back from it, people were really struck by the what looked like continually cloudy days in Los Angeles, except it wasn't. It was just the poor quality of the air. There was this hazy, acrid smell, burning presence, and people said, this is not good. We have to do something about it. So California got a relatively early start at trying to deal with some of the problems here, and we've been at it for you know the better part of 70 years now. Overall, when you look at the state of health of people in Southern California, of young people in particular, what have you seen change over the years and what are still your concerns? Well, at this point in time, we know a tremendous amount about the effects of air pollution, both short-term and long-term effects on people. Certainly, the lung is a primary organ for which there are effects, and we know a lot about it, but it goes far beyond the lungs. Because once it crosses the air-blood barrier in the lungs, it gets into the blood and the circulatory system. And then, essentially, the contaminants can go anywhere in your body. So it's not surprising that we see effects 
in the lungs, in the heart, in the metabolic system, in the brain. So it starts in the lungs and it continues on in terms of cardiovascular disease, in terms of acute respiratory infections, in terms of even been linked to uh, diabetes and obesity. It's actually been connected with some neurological problems in terms of younger children being able to pay attention and learn in school. Most of my work has been looking at children and, and sort of early life development. But later on in life, it turns out that air pollution has a role to play in terms of thinking about Alzheimer's and dementia and the rate of neurological decline. So this isn't something you throw off as you get older, like allergies. No, this is, I think, a way to think about this might be more like smoking. This is something that has a lifetime effect that sort of builds and accrues, and it can affect sort of the early start, the, the, what we might consider as a healthy start or a less than healthy start, and then has impacts on your whole life. And you and your colleagues have found that poor people, that people of color who tend to live closer to roads and freeways, particularly the results are seen among these people, these kids. That's right. And that's sort of a, a real injustice been sort of framed in terms of environmental racism, environmental injustice, environmental inequities. People who are in lower socioeconomic classifications don't have the money to buy their way out of a less than attractive potentially neighborhood and moving to sort of a cleaner place with more parks, more greenery, et cetera. Is cleaner air a relative term anywhere in L.A., Southern California, anyway? In fact, when we started the Children's Health Study in the early 1990s to looking at communities of children, thousands of children across California as they grew up to understand something about the long-term impacts of air pollution on their health, we actually had to leave the Los Angeles region to try and find a place that was of lower pollution, that is a cleaner location, to compare them with those kids growing up in higher pollution areas. What percentage of smog now is produced by cars because they are cleaner and the dirtier cars are getting aged out? What percentage still comes from factories or construction when the Air Quality Management District has had rules in place on those for a while, too? Well, yeah, that's an interesting question. People sometimes forget or don't really appreciate that the issue of smog and air pollution in Los Angeles really is a success story, that there's been tremendous strides made in the several decades that we've been fighting stationary sources, that is, sources such as boiler plants, factories, refineries, power generation plants, things that don't move. Those have been pretty tightly controlled for many years. But, of course, we have many, many millions of cars, and we drive many, many millions of miles. And so even though the newer cars are immensely cleaner than the older ones, a car five years old is much dirtier than cars that are the newest cars. So just the natural turnover of the fleet, in essence, is cleaning up the cars that are on the road in Southern California. The cars last a very long time, so it's not uncommon to see cars on the road that are 30, 40, even 50 years old. And that means the older sort of what we might call super polluters are still on the road. Everybody likes to have a nice, neat, new, shiny, clean car. That's great for air quality. But again, because we have so many millions, cars are not for maybe 60 or 70 percent of the emissions and the air pollution problems. So they're not the only problem. The ships are a problem, the uh, trains, the planes, the construction equipment, all those things contribute to air pollution. But certainly because of their sheer number and the breadth of activities, motor vehicle emissions are a major problem in Southern California. Would doctors, would 
kids in school, would families, would Angelinos notice a difference if the auto emission restrictions that have been in place, the standards that have been in place for 50 years under this waiver, if those were to end? Well, I think that's the concern. You know, it's not going to like turn over overnight, but the concern is that we've continued to push hard and make progress. And that if we sort of relax and ease back on standards, ease back on the attempt to continually try to clean up the air, we're going to start to see more and more days of higher pollution. And we're starting to see a little bit of that now because of climate change. And the concern is that as we stop working so hard to clean up mobile emissions, the air quality is going to slowly deteriorate again. Is that why we have seen more smog, more days of smog, even smog alerts, I think, for parts of Southern California and the Central Valley as well? Is it chiefly climate change? Well, that's a part of it. It's not the only answer, but it's a part of it because, again, uh, we're seeing more warmer days. We're seeing more stagnant episodes. And when that happens, we get sort of going back to this analogy of the cooking pot on the stove. We're seeing more cooking taking place and more pollutants being formed and staying around longer. And so we're seeing more elevation of pollution and, in that case, more days of violation. And just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. That's exactly right. Here in Southern California, we are still in violation of two national ambient air quality standards. One you can think of as small pieces of dirt floating around in the air that are too small to see. And the other one is ozone. Now, ozone is a clear gas. You cannot see it. So it might well be that you can see, and it still might be in violation of the standard. We still violate the standards, which is to say, based on the best available science, we still think the air is not fit to breathe. So there still is work to be done to improve the public health. Hold your breath for a moment, and I'll be back with more Smog News. All eyes are on California. Right now, its border is the center of debate and new policies. The climate is reshaping its countryside and towns, and its diverse industries and eclectic food scene are admired across the globe. At the LA Times, we report the story of California because it will shape our nation and our world. Visit the latimes.com slash calstory to subscribe. You were a runner in school. You're still a runner of 5Ks. Are you mindful when you do this of what's in the air that you're breathing that particular day? Yes, I think that it's important for everybody to get out and get exercise. I think we're all too sedentary. We all spend too much time sitting around when you all need to get out and walk or jog or bicycle or swim or you know, do all these different options that we might have to get out and exercise. So I think that's good for us. But we need to be mindful. We need to be smart about when and where we exercise. And, you know, trying to avoid rush hour, not running along busy streets or riding our bikes or or getting out and really exerting ourselves at the peak rush hours when there's lots of traffic and emissions out there is a smart idea. Are we smug about smog? Do we either take it for granted or figure we've already beaten that problem? Many come to Los Angeles and say, how can you live like this? And so now the visibility is actually generally good. But again, we have this creeping return of poor air quality, which is a function of ultimately of urban land use decisions. How do we plan our cities? What are we going to accept? How do we make smarter decisions in terms of mass transit, in terms of public transportation, in terms of building, in terms of access, and in terms of equity for all populations to have an equal chance to play and be safe and go outside and enjoy the recreational activities and have a livable, functional, sustainable lifestyle. If you do this, 
these will be the health impacts of that. And hopefully, based on that, regulators and policymakers can make smarter decisions about where we should go to improve the quality of life for communities and, and populations. We all have an individual responsibility. Obviously, this is a collective issue. And we can all say, well, it's too overwhelming whether I drive my car or not, whether I walk or not. You know, it's not going to make a difference in the overall air pollution problem. But I tell my students there's an old African proverb that if you think that you're too small to be any part of the problem or any part of the solution, you've never spent a night with a mosquito. Professor Ed Aval, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you. You've been hearing USC Professor Ed Aval on what a rollback of auto emissions could mean to Angelino's health. Now listen to Chip Jacobs, author of Smogtown, on seven things you probably don't know about smog. The blame it on the enemy conspiracy theory. When it first besieged Los Angeles in a way people couldn't ignore or just called smoke and fumes from industry, it was in July 1943, and it was really so severe that there was a rumor going around that it was from a Japanese chemical warfare attack. The Japanese had actually shelled parts of Santa Barbara the year before. So that was just a natural inclination. Hey, the Japanese are bringing war to the West Coast. Order in the court. (laughs) There was a superior court judge holding a hearing on a dump in Whittier that people were saying was blowing really nasty fumes and gases to surrounding communities. But when the judge was presiding with his black robe and gavel, he started looking around and smog had actually gotten into his courtroom and it was engulfing the witness stand. The smog, it's coming from inside the car. And at first, Angelinos were greatly indifferent to this claim and they wanted to believe it was still industry doing it. It really wasn't, I'd say, until the mid-60s. When the anti-war movement was coming, when public cynicism about institutions was mounting, that they, you know, turned against the car companies that they loved so much. It was a very difficult concept for them to grasp that the cars that made the freeway culture possible and gave them a suburban lifestyle was endangering their children. Like a patient hearing a diagnosis they didn't want to hear, they looked the other way and said it was something else causing it. Anybody know how to solve this? Anybody? The people running the Air Pollution Control District were at a loss. And the head of this agency said, you know what? We'll let anybody with a piece of paper and a pencil, regardless of their background, they can send us in their idea to solve the smog problem. They never expected to guess what they did, which was truckloads of mail being dumped at their offices with some really loony ideas that would never work. For example, the classic one is cutting holes, gigantic holes in the San Gabriel Mountains to create a natural vent for air pollution. They found it would take an incredible amount of energy just to blow away one day's worth of L.A. air. I mean, like the Hoover Dam running for seven days, and it just would never pencil out. Smog killed L.A.'s farms. L.A. used to be an agricultural powerhouse, and between the time of the first attack and the JFK assassination, we lost three-quarters of our cropland. Scientists were saying some crops could withstand this dirty air, and some just did not have the biological firepower to do so. We had spinach, lettuce, beets, oats, alfalfa, celery, onions, 
And it actually became like a disaster tourism industry where people would drive all the way out there, you know, on two lane roads and point at all these brown, yellow stalks wilting over or on the ground. It was just like a tidal wave drowning the agricultural economy of Los Angeles. China exports everything, including smog. Everybody knows how ghastly China's smog problem is. That smog also does not obey international borders. And on some really breezy days, a third to a quarter of the air pollution in the Sacramento Valley in the San Francisco area comes from China. So it's drifting across the Pacific in these giant plumes. So even as our cars have gotten cleaner, our gasoline is pure, and we've taken all these technological steps. This Frankenstein that we helped create, known as the People's Republic of China's economy, is biting us. The human guinea pig. In the 1950s, when smog was at its worst, the head of the Air Pollution Control District wanted to show his empathy with the average Angelino. And so he volunteered to spend two hours in a plexiglass smog chamber fitted with a chair, a makeshift desk, and a thermostat cranked to 90 degrees. He was trying to mimic the conditions going on during a very bad smog siege. His name is S. Smith Griswold, and he was a square-jawed former Stanford fullback. The man almost died inside the smog chamber, and he staggered out with tightness in his chest, and his doctor said he'd lost 22% lung capacity in that short time. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's edited and engineered by Mike Heflin. Subscribe to Pat Morrison Asks and never miss a podcast.